0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word.
1: Don't ever say what you can't do. I tell people whenever I'm talking to people in council, and they say, man, I was really trying, but I can't. I say, no, 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 you won't. Not that you can't, you won't. Because in Christ, you can. God will empower you. When you make the choice, God will empower you to walk in His victory. When you're not experiencing His victory, it's not because you can't. It's because you won't. And so we need to all remember that God's faithful, who will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able. But with the temptation, he says, he always makes a way of escape that we may be able to bear.
0: As you listen to today's message with Pastor Bill, allow your spirit to be challenged. When you find yourself constantly saying, I can't, it's usually not because you can't, rather, it's because you won't. You see, God has given you the Holy Spirit to help you do more than you could ever think or imagine. You are able to overcome your flesh, but not on your own. Through the blood of Jesus and by the help of his Spirit, you can. So stop trying to live on your own. Trust in the one who made you. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Leviticus chapter 15 for today's edition of A Transforming Word.
1: Right up front, I'll let you know that we're going to be talking about some personal things. Uh, Some of the things that are spoken of here deal with personal hygiene, um, menstrual cycles, emission of semen. We'll also be looking at venereal disease and how they were handling that back in those days. And so just be prepared. I won't be gross on purpose, but I just being forward so the last several chapters have been dealing with leprosy and um when someone had it how to identify it and after it was identified if they were cleansed or healed of it um, what they were to do what the process was to be recognized as clean and be welcomed back into fellowship so too in this chapter we'll be dealing with other forms of uncleanness and what a person had to do to be recognized as clean and be brought back into fellowship. So uh, Leviticus chapter 15, uh, we'll start at verse 1. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. So first of all, he said, if you got a discharge from your body, any man, uh, this is the thing, we'll deal with a man's discharge um, an intermittent discharge and then a, a, a chronic or an ongoing discharge. Um, then we'll do with a woman and an intermittent discharge, her, her monthly cycle and then also a ongoing or a chronic discharge and we'll see this, that a woman's monthly cycle and, and there's other forms of mission that are not necessarily, they're not sinful they're just a part of normal life but they need to be washed before they came back into fellowship and whatnot. Um, we'll also see that in each case, there's a form of emission that's, it's brought about by disease. It's a result of disease. So when you look right here at verse two, it says, when a man has a discharge from his body, um, looking up the word in particular, discharge, it means a diseased discharge. So this isn't normal. This isn't something that just came about in this man's body. This is a result of disease. Um, most Everything I read on this uh, would suggest that it was a result of venereal disease. And so um, it would cause there to be a discharge. The discharge was from um, either the man's penis or anus or so it's from his private areas. That's just what it is. That's where there. that's where it's coming from. And so I want to just say this, first of all, as God has put this in his word, he spoke this to his people at that time and. I want to just back up a step. How does a man end up in this predicament? How does a man end up in a place where there's a sexually transmitted disease? Obviously, there's sexual immorality. Um, in a couple of chapters, they're going to deal head on with sexual immorality. But for us and our purposes here, I would just say this. God has always had the same view, the same opinion, the same desire for his people, that there be purity among the people of God, that we wouldn't be in this period of time when this is written to God's people The pagan nations as a part of their ongoing worship, there was sex was a part of their worship of the idols. They actually had um, women that were, they were called temple prostitutes. And so in some of the pagan religions as a part of the worship, men would go into the temple and sleep with these women that were temple prostitutes. If you were part of those pagan worship, you would give your daughters over to participate as a temple prostitute for a period of time That was how the pagans and the non-believers worshipped. And so among them, if you could imagine, there was disease was rampant. Um, There were unwanted children. All the same things that we see happen in a society like ours that's very immoral. Those things were happening. God said, I don't want it to be that way among my people. Um, God was for marriage. He wanted men and women, a man and a woman to be married and the children that would come forth from a marriage. He didn't want these things to be going on. And so should that happen? Should you be found unclean? God said, hey, you're going to be separated. Um, you're not going to be coming in for worship. And when you're known that you're carrying this disease, you're unclean. Um, until you're pronounced clean, he's going to give all these parameters that people had to stay away from you. You were considered unclean. So before I go any further, if you're writing notes, you could write down. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 18. In first Corinthians 6, 18, Paul dealing with sexual morality to a church that was very, uh, for a church, they were pretty immoral. Uh, the Corinthian church they are being corrected and instructed in this area. And so he says this, first Corinthians chapter six, and I'm gonna start reading at verse 15. It says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? If you're a believer, your bodies are part of Christ. Uh, He said, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Basically put Christ's members and add them, put them together with a harlot. He said, certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And in verse 18 and 19, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And then he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own? You've been bought at a price. Therefore, we're supposed to glorify God in our body and our spirit, which belong to him. And so focus on verse 18. He says that every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he says, he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. First of all, the word for sexual immorality here is in the Greek is pornea, where we get our, we get pornography. The If you look up the word, it's a broad, it's not just one type of sin. It's a broad word. It's a broad range of sexual sins. So it's not just fornication, not just adultery, not just looking at pornography. Anything that's sexually illicit and immoral, sex outside of the context that God prescribed is sexual morality. It could be lusting after someone. It could be uh, watching pornography. It could be something like masturbation. It could be any of those things will fall under this context right here, sexual immorality. And God says, hey, um, every sin that you do is outside your body, but this one in particular is different. You actually sin against your own body. You actually damage your own body. And notice what he said just before it, that if you You know, if you fornicate with a woman, you you become one with them. There's an exchange that takes place when two people come together sexually and God says the two become one. You become one with someone that's not one with God. That's jacking up your relationship with God. And so he says this has implications or it damages you. It's unique among sin. Now, all sin is sin. All sin unrepented of will damage you. All sin that's unrepented of, unconfessed and unforgiven would send you to hell. But God says, hey, sexual sin does something different. It's actually destroying you as you go. And so God will speak this to his people back there in Israel. God, this is New Testament where God is warning his people. I I don't want you guys, you guys don't do that. Don't join yourself like that. Don't engage in sexual immorality. God wants there to be purity and holiness in his people. God created sex. He made it all the good and great things about sex. God created for it to be enjoyed in a context of marriage with his blessing upon it. When we take this thing that God created to be a blessing outside of what he intended and we make it just a pleasurable thing like our culture has done, we end up with all the problems that we have in our culture. Kids with no parents, venereal diseases, all the challenges, all the issues, people aborting babies, killing children, 58 million kids aborted since the Roe versus Wade thing went down. Fifty-eight. Think about that. 58 million human beings killed through abortion since that thing was passed and what's that for what's what's i mean when you look at why people abort kids it's because they were in something that they shouldn't have been in and they decided that they don't want to deal with the ramifications of having a kid so they kill it boom and it happens over and some women have you know multiple some men are responsible for you know threatening women scaring them into doing it. it happens all over the place it could even unfortunately happen in the context of a marriage which is really sad um but it's you know It typically or more times than not as a result of people having come together outside of the covenant of marriage where they didn't want kids yet. They weren't ready for that yet. and So God says, hey, you damage your own self. You do harm to your own self. It's different. And so anyone here struggling with any area of sexual immorality? What we need to know is this one, it's a sin. God doesn't want you to participate in it. He doesn't want you to be caught up in that and bonded to that. It's destroying you. Not to mention it's destroying your relationship with God because we're supposed to be one with Christ. And God said, if you're one with Christ, you can't join him to a harlot. Don't do that. Don't join him to someone that's not part of him. Don't do that. Don't join Christ to these other things. It damages you. It damages your relationship with the Lord. Is it forgivable? Yes. The blood of Christ can cleanse us of all sins. God can wash our sins away. God can forgive us. If you find yourself in bondage in an area like this, the remedy is confession, repentance, making a U-turn. You have to make a choice to repent. And you'll find that as you choose to repent, God's power is there to help you to walk in repentance. But you have to make a choice. There's a point at which you have to turn away from it. Some people are addicted to certain aspects of sexual sin. That's part of what you've done to yourself as you've engaged in it. You're addicted to it. How's that going to be broken? Uh, It'll be broken through repentance, just like every other addiction can be broken through repentance, confession and repentance. And so. Yeah, these things are awful and horrible and they carry ramifications. They damage your relationship with the Lord. But it's not something that you can't turn away from and be renewed and restored in the Lord if you so desire. And that's what God would have for us to do. Proverbs chapter six, verse 32, and then we'll move on. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Wounds and dishonor he will get and his reproach will not be wiped away here just speaking of a man that would step outside someone that would step outside of their marriage in sexual sin says first of all the person that does it lacks understanding and it says he who does so destroys his own soul he's destroying his own soul and it says wounds and dishonor he will get and his reproach will not be wiped away those are heavy words it won't be wiped away his reproach so Back to our text here in Leviticus 15. Again, when any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. Again, this discharge is a result of sexual sin. It would be a venereal disease, something that God would want his people to flee from, to not partake of. And I just want to put this together. I want to point this out before we move on because I know people struggle here. When I wasn't walking with the Lord, this is where I struggled. When I got saved, there are areas of struggle. And so, um, something that we all need to be aware of is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Probably one verse that Satan will never remind you of. But 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. No temptation has overtaken us except that which is common. And then it says something really awesome. It says, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear. So God said, don't feel bad. Don't feel weird. It's common if you feel tempted. It's not new. You're not the first one. You won't be the last. It's common. You know, but God says, but he's faithful. Not allow the temptation be beyond what you're able. And so don't ever believe that this scenario right here. I could never say no. I'm I'm just in bondage. I can't stop. Don't ever say what you can't do. I tell people whenever I'm talking to people in council and they say, man, I was really trying, but I can't. I said, no, 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 you won't. Not that you can't. You won't. Because in Christ, you can. God will empower you when you make the choice. God will empower you to walk in his victory. When you're not experiencing his victory, it's not because you can't, it's because you won't. And so we need to all remember that. God's faithful who will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able. But with the temptation, he says, he always makes a way of escape that we may be able to bear. So moving on. So the rest of this first section here, we're gonna look at all the things that the guy that's considered unclean, what happens because of it. So verse three, this shall be his uncleanness in regard to his discharge. Rather, his body runs with his discharge or his body is stopped up by his discharge it is uncleanness now these are all the things that would identify him every bed is unclean on which he who has the discharge lies everything on which he sits shall be considered unclean whoever touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water. You're going to see that over and over again. Wash his clothes, bathe in water. Anybody that comes in contact with them in any kind of way, wash his clothes, bathe in water. I'm going to come back to that. Verse 6. He who sits on anything which he who has the discharge sat shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Verse 7. He who touches the body of him who has the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If he who has the discharge spits on him who is clean, then he shall sock him in the nose. No, it doesn't say that. Um, if, I don't know why this guy with the discharge is spitting on people, but if he does, <laughs> he just, he needed to get beat up too, but uh, if he spits on someone who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Any saddle on which he who has the discharge rides shall be unclean, Whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until evening. He who carries any of those things shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whomever the one who has the discharge touches and has not rinsed his hands in water, he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And in the last thing in verse 12, the vessel of earth or an earthen vessel that he who has discharged touches shall be broken and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. So this is the overwhelming counsel is this guy's unclean, VD, some kind of issue he has a discharge, if you touch him, you need to wash your clothes, bathe in water. If you sit on something he sat on, wash your clothes, bathe the water. If you rode his donkey and his saddle and found out he had the thing, you wash your clothes and bathe the water. In every instance, they had to, you got to wash it off. You got to be made clean. I mean, you'd be considered unclean till evening. So why all of this? Why is God, I mean, why is this in the word of God? Why is God instructing his people? A couple things. This would prevent the spread of disease among God's people, right? Just because this guy went and did something he shouldn't be doing and contracted something that he shouldn't have god doesn't mean everybody need to be impacted by it in a negative way so we find out that that's what he's dealing with he needs to be unclean separated until he's pronounced clean he needs to be over there don't touch him don't touch his stuff don't sit on his bed you really wouldn't be hanging out with this guy very close now someone might say well how would you know i mean how does all that come forth how does that come out it was a part of how they dealt with things among god's people at this time he would be pronounced unclean once it was known He'd be pronounced unclean and however people needed to be notified or find out after the fact or whatever it was, they were going to wash their clothes, bathe in water, take a bath, and then they'd be unclean until evening. What's the lesson for us in this? A couple things. Obviously, what we already said, um, as believers, we want to be people that walk in holiness and purity. We don't want to be those that are wrapped up in sexual sin. Yes, we live in a sexually charged nation, but so did they. And they were to be holy in the midst of a sexually charged nation. Yes, they lived in a nation where everybody else was doing it, but they were to be holy. And we live in a nation where everybody else is doing it. Even some churches are doing it. And God would say, but I want you to be holy, be set apart. Don't be wrapped up in that. Then, when we find that someone has been impacted, when there is some uncleanness, I just need to be careful. It does matter where we put ourselves and who we put ourselves around. There are things that God would say, you know, you need to wash, you need to be cleansed. We deal with uncleanness every day. Everywhere you go, you can't really go anywhere. We don't come in contact with uncleanness. As I was preparing this, I just kind of tested myself. So I'm gonna just go throughout this day and see where... And how and in what ways when you're not even looking for it, but in what ways I'm going to be impacted by the uncleanness of the nation in which I live and to everywhere. It could be as simple as the way that people are dressing. It could be things that you read. It could be things that are passed by. here. could be, listen, One way that it happened to me is I'm sitting in my car and someone drove by my car and the music that was coming out of my, their car that I could hear in my car was pornographic. The things that they were saying in the music was pornographic and it's in my ear. I'm listening to it. It, I didn't, it wasn't on my radio. Don't, it wasn't on my, it wasn't on my my iPhone, but it was coming. I was being impacted by the culture in which I live. So we live among it. We live around it. How do we wash? They had to go wash with water, take a bath. You and I, how do we wash away the filth of this world that we get immersed in every single day? The word, the word is how we washed it in Ephesians five. It tells the husband's. Who's, you know, says that you wash your wife, wash her in the water of the word of God, wash her because she's dirty. No, because she live in a dirty world and the junk gets on her. Wash her with the word. Wash that junk off of her. Minister to her in that way. So as we go out into a filthy world and we're impacted by filthy things and filthy people that's all around us. If you just go every day and you get out and you're in it and you come back, you're out, you're in it, you come back and you just go in and out and in and out and in and out. Before you know it, it's, you could have some stuff on you. It's going to be impacted. You're going to be taken in. But if we wash in the word regularly, get up in the morning and wash yourself in the word. Before you go to bed, wash yourself in the word. When you get opportunity in the middle of the day, wash yourself in the word. When you got opportunity like this to come out and just be washed in the word, once again, it has a cleansing effect on the believer. It does wash us. It does renew us in our focus, renew us in our vision, just remind us of who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. And so as they were to wash we need to wash every day too. We need, I need to take responsibility. I can't be responsible for the world in which I live, but I can be responsible for me. And so I want to, I need to be washed. I need to take the word in. I'll just let the Lord wash my heart, wash my mind, speak to me anew through his word, um, healthy for all of us. Again, the, if it touched the earthen vessel, they said they would just break it. It's no good. If it touched a vessel of wood, they can wash it out. Verse 13, we move on to a, another issue. It says, and when he who has a discharge is cleansed, of his discharge. Then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing, wash his clothes, and bathe his body in running water, and he shall be clean. So once he's pronounced clean, so he may, we don't know how long he'll have this issue, uh, but for whatever period of time he has, he's unclean. Once he's finally healed of it or whatever, and he goes, he's pronounced clean of this illness. Now that he's pronounced clean, there's seven days, take seven days for his cleansing, washes his clothes, bathes his body in running water, And he shall also be clean. Then on the eighth day, what's the eighth day representative of? New beginnings. On the eighth day, he gets a new chance. New beginning. On the eighth day, he shall take for himself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and come before the Lord to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and give them to the priest. And we should point out that until he was pronounced clean, he couldn't come before the Lord. He wasn't able. He was unclean. He couldn't come bring an offering. He couldn't come before the Lord. He was unclean. So I just would point this out. Can we come before the Lord unclean and offer anything to him? If we got issues, if we got unconfessed sin, if we got grime and dirt, can we offer up worship in a way that pleases the Lord? No, you can't. God even says this. He says, hey, when you're getting ready to come to the altar and give a gift to the Lord, you're going to give. Right. You realize on your way down the altar that I got with my brother. What does Jesus say? Do Leave your gift. Go make it right with your brother. Then come back. And offer your gift. Why? Because that's more important than the gift to God. your heart being right, you being in the right place, they're not being beef unnecessarily, that you love your brother. That's a bigger deal to God. And so God would say to us, you know, as we come before Him, um, maybe for some people, maybe that's why God is so silent. I, I try to get in my word, I'm reading, I'm not hearing anything. I'm not getting anything. How you living? What's there? Is there unconfessed sin? Is there uncleanness? Is there grime? Is there dirt? Is there things that God is saying? Like, would you, could you repent of that? I'd hear that. Would you confess those sins? I would hear that. I would wash that away. Um, I would love to start with you in a new place. They weren't able to come in that unclean condition and offer this sacrifice. It was once they had been pronounced clean. So this is the application from that. As much as we would want to give something to the Lord and it seemed like a good thing to give something to the Lord. What God wants most of all, more than anything you could give him, is your heart right with him. You in the right place with him. He wants that more than anything else. There's nothing I could give God that he wants more than my surrendered heart, my obedience. There's nothing that's more valuable, more important I couldn't give enough money for it to matter if my heart's grimy before God. He wants that. That's more important than anything I could offer and give. Now, when I get that right, now I have the privilege, the privilege of worship, privilege to give something to the Lord. So this guy has now been pronounced clean after seven days. He's able. It's a privilege that now he can come and offer this sacrifice to the Lord. So look at verse 14. On the eighth day, he shall take for himself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and come before the Lord to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and give them to the priest then the priest shall offer them the one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord because of his discharge. That's how come we know this discharge was a sin issue. It says the burnt offering is just for consecration. And so it's just committed. It's just like you could be recommitting. I'm just consecrating my heart to the Lord once again. I want to just be consecrated, set apart for God. But God said you got to bring a sin offering and a consecration offering. Well, you don't give a sin offering if there's no sin that's being dealt with. So he had to bring a sin offering. And then after the sin was dealt with, a consecration offering. And that the way it goes. First, we deal with our sin and we deal with that. And then we just commit ourselves. God, now that I've dealt with my sin, now that that's washed away, now that that's forgiven, now I just commit myself to you anew and afresh. I consecrate my life to you. Isn't it a beautiful thing that God will let us do that, that we can come back?
0: That's all we have time for today on The Transforming Word, but we're so glad you joined us for today's teaching on Pastor Bill. As we continue learning from the book of Leviticus together, our prayer is that you begin to understand where you come from. Knowing your roots is so important to understanding your faith in the heart of God. You may think all the rules within the Bible are outdated or just plain don't make sense, but they were there for a reason. They weren't there to punish, but rather to guide. And who doesn't need a little guidance from time to time? We hope you continue to learn more from the book of Leviticus and encourage you to read on on your own. If you're interested in hearing additional teachings from Pastor Bill, you'll find them on our website, CalvaryInglewood.org. If you live in or near the Inglewood area, we'd love to meet you and invite you to join us for worship this weekend. You can get service times and location information at CalvaryInglewood.org. You'll even find links to stream our services if you're unable to be with us in person, and you can catch up on previous messages online. That website again is CalvaryEnglewood.org. As we come to the end of our time with you today, we want you to know that we're grateful to have you as part of our listening audience. Would you join us in praying for others who are tuning in and possibly hearing about Jesus for the first time? Please pray that their hearts will be open to the truth that changes lives. Thanks for praying and thanks for joining us on A Transforming Word.